I've actually been reading through the book of Revelation recently, which is why we won't be in Revelation tonight. Uh, We're going to be somewhere totally different um, because, man, that's a hard uh, book uh, just to get through. I feel like I I have a good handle on like the first five, six, seven chapters, and then after that I'm like, whoo! So any of you guys who figured the whole book out, go ahead and uh, share that with me after tonight. Uh, the pastor isn't with us today. Um, he, I think he comes back uh, sometime tomorrow. Uh, I think he's visiting some family. Uh, so you can get your tickets back uh, as you leave tonight, okay? I, I know you'll get the full price of admission for tonight. We know what you're expecting when you come, and when you don't get it, it's, uh, it's just a horrible disappointment. And so I, I hope I horribly disappoint you tonight. Um, I am actually, I'm thrilled, just like always, to be here with you, uh, to go through a passage of, the, of scripture with you. Uh, I kind of wanted to start out with that clip from Casablanca, uh, because uh, what I want to talk about is, is really kind of the theme of that whole clip, which is just this, this passionate love uh, for one another. And so, as you're watching that clip, uh, and if you've seen the whole movie, it really culminates right there in that scene uh, where they can finally ex- express their love to each other. It's Ingrid Bergman and it's uh, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, the tickets, I don't know if you heard that, I don't know if you know the whole story, but the tickets to which he was referring uh, was actually tickets for them to be able to travel freely in Europe uh, during the time of World War II. It would have it helped immensely, and uh, that's kind of the, the thing worth value in that whole movie. Movie. Uh, but the other thing that's worth a lot in that movie is, is love, the love that they had for each other. There was a whole bunch of stuff that happens. If you haven't seen the movie, I would definitely go see it. Um, but we have uh, just this theme of love, and that's uh, when you think about love, and we think about love in the Bible, you probably think of one chapter in the Bible. What chapter is that? 1 Corinthians 13, good job. Uh, That was a quiz. If some of you flunked, it's okay. We'll have a retest at the end of this. Uh, You can retake that whole exam that I just gave. Um, But we usually think of 1 Corinthians 13, and a lot of people use 1 Corinthians 13 in their marriages, uh, in their marriage ceremonies. It might even be like in your living room. You might have a pictured frame of it uh, in your your restroom. I don't know if you do that in your bathroom. Uh, But somewhere, probably these verses from 1 Corinthians 13 have touched you in some way or another. Most people, I think even us, is my wife in here? She's skipping out. What's, what's up with that? Can you guys just hold on? I'm going to find her. I'm just kidding. Leanne, if you are in the commons, everyone knows that you're not in here now. Uh, she could probably hear that, and she probably will never come in now. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, one of my best friends married us actually almost 15 years ago to the day. May 1st is our anniversary, and it's the number 15, my wife... Uh, and I have been talking back and forth. What are we going to do for each other for uh, our anniversary? It's 15. We need to do something big. And uh, I, I had sent a message to her about a week or two ago. And I said, the New York Yankees are going to be within six hours of our home. 
And she was jumping and she's like, are we going to go? Are we going to go? Are we going to go? And I was like, I don't know. We need to look at tickets. And she bought tickets today for that. So for my anniversary, I'm headed to Phoenix to watch the Diamondbacks play the greatest team in baseball. Uh, Keep your comments to yourself. I didn't hear any of that. I have the mic. And so, uh, but I remember even at our wedding, uh, my, one of my best friends married us, and he uses this passage because it's a beautiful passage, and it's a beautiful passage about love, but I want to share a little something with you to help you kind of put this love that Paul is talking about into context, because if we don't have that, I think we're, gonna, we, we're just going to always think of this as, no, this is just a great like, description of love in the Bible, and it is, but it's, it's so much more deep than that. And so what I want you to see... Really, more than anything today, is that this letter, the Corinthian uh, letter written by Paul, was actually written to a church who was not doing well at love. In fact, they weren't doing well at a lot of stuff, and we'll, we'll touch on some of that in a little bit. But this is a church with love problems. Uh, I was actually going to do an entirely uh, different message and and entirely, uh, we were actually going to be in the Old Testament tonight. I was thinking about talking about Hosea and just this beautiful story of love and redemption, uh, even in the worst of times. And as I just got closer to tonight, I thought, for whatever reason, I just feel like the Lord wants me to talk about love tonight. And so that's what we're going to be doing. So, Paul writes this Corinthian church that has this huge love problem, okay? If you, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. And because the Corinthian church had a lot of problems, Paul wrote this letter, first and second, to the Corinthians, okay? Both of these letters, because this church was just having so many problems. And Paul addresses a lot of these problems in a lot of different ways, and a lot of it kind of culminates in this chapter. He's saying, look, you're, you're having all these problems, but there's a more excellent way. You don't have to be a church that's filled with all of these problems, all this strife, and everything else that's been going on. You, you could be this church who just focuses on love. And so uh, he's going to start out this entire book, and he's going to start telling you about all of these great things, but without love, those great things are absolutely worthless. And that's how he's going to start. But here's the question that I want you to think about tonight. I I honestly don't want you to think uh, only about the Corinthian church tonight, but I want you to think about yourself. And when I say the church tonight, I don't just mean like FBC, the organization. When I say the church tonight, I want us to think about we, we the church, us, we are the church. And so if the church does not have love, let's look at, at some of the problems that that could create. So are you like this in the church? That's a question that I want you guys to ask yourselves Today, are you like this? Everything that we're going to read today, are you like this in the church? Being part of the church, are you like what Paul is describing, whether in the negative or the positive? Are you like it in that you are a lovely person, or are you like it in the fact that you are without love in many of the things that you do? And that's really the reason that we go to Scripture. 
because it's like a mirror staring right back at us and it usually helps us see ourselves more clearly. It also helps us see our Savior more clearly. And so as we go on tonight, I just want you to be thinking, am I, am I like this, not just in life? Are you like this in the church? Are you living this lifestyle of love in the church? And everything that you do is characterized by love. Or are you like this in the church where nothing that you're doing is being characterized by love? Or maybe you're just somewhere in the middle. You're probably, hopefully none of us are doing every single thing without love inside the church. That would, uh, you're not a good person, okay? <laughs> if we're just going to be honest. If you're, if you're doing every single thing inside the church without love, you're not really a good person. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so let's, let's uh, look at this. Uh, it's been called the love chapter. It's, uh, it's been called the greatest passage in scripture. Uh, many, many, many people, if they said, if you were just to ask them, what's your favorite passage in scripture, they're going to they're gonna name this one, uh, or John 3.16, <laughs> uh, but it's one of those two. Uh, so it's just a rich, rich passage in scripture, uh, the love chapter. So I want to start out uh, by having you look at the screen, uh, there's a word in this chapter. It's used 150, uh, sorry, 115 times in the New Testament. I counted in here. I was like, it's going to be like an astronomical number. So, so I just decided to Google it at first. I was like, all right, how many times is the word agape used in, in 1 Corinthians 13? I'm like getting nothing. Like it's 115 times in the New Testament. And it's, it's, there's a whole love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm like, what's the number? And then I was like, all right, I'm going to have to go back to the Greek and count them all. And I was like, no, I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll just count it in my Bible. It's going to take me forever. And there's only nine. <laughs> so it's, it's nine times in the scripture that we're going to be looking at. And I, I was like, it's got to be like 105 times of the 115 in the whole New Testament, but it's only nine. Uh, so I was a little off, but I want to talk about this word agape. Uh, have you guys ever seen that Greek? You can put that up there again. I'm going to keep referring to that for a second. Have you ever seen that word in the Greek? Uh, Greek is a phonetic language. It's, it's, it's very similar to our own in, in many ways, uh, but it's it's phonetic, and so you have an A first. We, they read from left to right as well. A G A P E, agape, and so it's it's alpha, gamma, alpha, pi, eta. Those are the actual letters uh, in Greek, and agape. Is you, I know that you know that it's the word for love. I know that you know that it's, it's a different word for love. It's not, there's all these other different ones, but this is like the most pure. But here's the really cool thing about this word agape. It is a purely Christian word, okay? This word was never found in any other writings by people who weren't Christians. Isn't that amazing? So this is a really special word, and if that's a special word, and we are calling this the love chapter, the agape chapter, I think it's important for us to know that this is, this is something expressly godly, okay? This is something that is so Christian that it's only used in Christian circles. There was no other heathen writers, there's nobody that was lost, anybody else that would use this word in any context except for a Christian who, ex who would experience the agape or the love of God. I think that is a pretty neat way just to start everything uh, that we're going to look at today. Uh, 
So this is agape is just love in the highest and the, and the most pure sense, okay? It's a love without condition, and it's a love that first God bestows upon us, but he also requires us to show to everyone else. I mean, you know, uh, the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. If we do those things, we fulfill the entire law. And so this word love is, is so basic to Christianity, and it's so important. And, and God is just saying, look, this is this is just a me kind of love. And when I save you with this kind of love, I want you to work out this kind of love in your lives. And more importantly, let's not forget, Paul is writing a church. And so really God is also saying to that church, live out this godly, agape, without condition, highest of all loves with all of the other believers whom you worship with and who you live life with and who you commune with, who you dine with, it's part of the church. Agape love is part of the church. So Paul is going to speak of some amazing and beautiful things that are absolutely worthless if they're not accompanied by love. I'd like to go back to Acts 18 just for a second. I know you're thinking... We haven't even got into 1 Corinthians 13, uh, and you're already jumping around. Let's go to Acts 18. I got hit pretty hard with allergies uh, this last week. I'm coming out of it now, but you can see, you can hear my voice is still cracking a little. Uh, I assure you, that's the allergies. I, I'm a fully grown man. Uh, <laughs> Paul visits the city of Corinth to whom later he writes the letter, uh, Corinthians. Uh, but I wanted you to understand some of the things that happened. So I'm, I'm actually just going to read through this. Uh, just bear with me. It's not a long passage. Um, but I think it really sets us up for understanding the Corinthian church that Paul is writing to. So it says, uh, this is verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of, of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded that all the Jews leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they worked for they were both tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks in the synagogue. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they had opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, listen, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Who is that? That would be the Corinthian church, right? The very, very beginning of the Corinthian church. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, don't be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. 
And he stayed a year and six months in Corinth, teaching the word of God among them. Now talk about living life with somebody, all right? He presents the gospel to these people and they believe and they're baptized and he stays with them and helps them form into a church for a year and six months. That's a long time. It's a long time for Paul. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. That's just a commentary on what they thought of Jesus. He's contrary to the, to the law of Moses, Jesus is. And so that was really hard for them. Obviously, we know that that's not true. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge." Of these things. And he drove them out from the tribunal, and they all seized Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. And then Paul leaves. So we have really the start of the, of the Corinthian church. Uh, it's a beautiful start, but it's a hard place for Paul to be proclaiming the gospel. And so, uh, but he stayed a year and six months, which is absolutely. Incredible. So that's a little history on the Corinthian church. Paul knows these people. Okay, it's not just a group of people that was like, no, this is a group of people that he spent a year and six months with. A group of people that he led to the Lord. And then they led other people to the Lord. And then Paul knew them. And Paul knew this body of believers and he knew them well. And when they started going through many, many different things, uh, such as problems with unity, Problems with pride, problems in marriage, problems in sensuality, problems in worship, problems with the Lord's Supper, problems with spiritual gifts. They had all these problems. Paul is like, okay, I got to write these people. I got to set them straight. And that's what the whole letter does. Uh, and he's, he's brutally honest with them. At some point, he calls people out and situations out by name. Relax, I'm not going to do that tonight. So I'm not going to be calling anybody's name and bringing out your uh, dirty laundry, nor my own. Uh, And I'd appreciate it if you didn't do that uh, as well. So Paul writes this amazing letter, and I want to get into it uh, right now. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse uh, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He's basically saying, if if I'm bilingual, if I'm trilingual, I mean, if I know all these languages that men speak, which gets me in a lot of places and helps me do a lot of things, if I don't have love, it counts for nothing. And then he says, if I, okay, if I even speak in the tongues of men, and also angels, like that would be pretty cool, right? I know, I, okay, I can communicate with a lot of people. Uh, I can also communicate with angels, I'm just saying. Like, that's a huge thing. But he's saying, even if you can do that, if it's all worth nothing if you don't have love. And so there's something that's missing uh, in our lives if everything that we do isn't characterized and isn't flavored with this agape without condition Love. And if I have prophetic powers, 
if you want to talk about prophecy, let's, let's just mention what that is. That doesn't mean if I have prophetic powers, if I can tell you uh, the moment that you're going to die and the moment uh, that this is going to happen in your life. And no, that's not prophetic powers. Pro- prophecy in the Bible always is a foretelling of scripture and not a foretelling of future. Does that make sense? And so uh, someone that is, uh, has the gift of prophecy is really someone who will foretell the word of God to other people not foretell the future to them, okay? So he says, even if I have prophetic powers, if I'm up here and I'm teaching the word of God, but I don't have love, what does it say? I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to remove the mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing, So the gift of teaching and admonishing people from the word of God, if it's not done with love, counts for nothing. If you understand all mysteries, but don't have love, doesn't matter. If you understand all knowledge, if you have all knowledge, but not love, counts for nothing. If I have all faith, can you imagine that? If you have all faith, all of your faith is put in the Lord. Everything that you bank on is on him. And you still don't have love, his love. It all counts for nothing. I was uh, preaching from this scripture in Argentina one time. I think it was the first sermon I ever did in Spanish. I'm out in the interior of Argentina, uh, probably about, just to give you some kind of place you where I was in Argentina, northern Argentina, maybe about uh, 12 hours away from Buenos Aires. Uh, And I'm out in the middle of this place. It is, my wife will tell you, uh, it is the worst place on earth. Uh, It's called Santiago del Estero, and that's the city. The city uh, just, it just didn't have much. It was a lot of people, but it didn't have much. But the place that we were at, was called, gosh, Leanne, do you, do you remember uh, what, uh, where in Santiago we worked? I'm just, I just came up with a blank. Bajo Grande, she knows, it's etched into her mind. Bajo Grande, okay? Now this place was, it was just brutal. Uh, it was kind of a village, but the, the houses were really spread apart. Uh, but they had a church there, and the church was there with a missionary that we knew, and uh, it, was, it was a great place, and it was a great place for my first message, and I, I thought, you know, I'm going to just teach about love in the church, so I, I get this chapter open, but I opened with, uh, with a story that happened to me in that village as I was leaving somebody's house. Uh, in this place in Santiago del Estero, uh, the frogs... The toads, they're toads, they're not frogs. I don't want to hear corrections and get emails about frogs and toads later. It's a toad, and it was, I'm, I'm not joking, from the table, it would, it would have been this big. They are huge. Uh, my wife can attest, I mean, you would, if you wanted to pick this thing up, you would actually grab behind its shoulder blades and its, and its spine, and you would be able to get your fingers under there and pick them up. Uh, it, they're the biggest things ever. And uh, so I'm pulling out of somebody's, uh, I'll say driveway, but it's like, it's like a, their dirt way to their house. And I'm pulling out, and my, my truck is, is a little inclined. I'm a little like this, so, but I see one of these huge frogs. And I mean, it is so giant. So I'm just kind of in awe. I'm like, I'm just going to watch and see what happens. And at the same time, I hear this truck coming. 
And uh, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this doesn't look good for this gigantic toad that's in the road. And uh, I'm just watching. I'm hoping that this doesn't happen, like all unfold (laughs) right before my eyes. I have to watch this gruesome massacre, Uh, but it does. So this big truck passes right over this huge toad. And at the very same moment, like had the toad just been still, it would have been fine. But the truck passed over it and then the toad decides now's a good time to jump and so he jumps and I mean end of life right then and there uh and so I was watching I was like (gasps) it was it was horrible uh and I'm the the truck is now gone doesn't probably doesn't even know what happened and I'm watching this toad zero life not kicking not doing anything it was a hundred percent dead and I really think that that is what Paul is trying to say a church without love is just dead. There's no life in it. You can have all these spiritual gifts. You can have all of these qualities, all of these things that are awesome things. But if, if you don't have love, it's dead. You're dead. And so I opened with that. I get a little further in my message and the biggest windstorm that I'd ever seen in Argentina comes through and I can't even finish my message. I was like, I guess I wasn't going to be that good because God went ahead and took me off stage a little early on that one. Uh, and so... I wanted just to share, and I would actually do this with any church that I would visit in Argentina. I would just share with them, especially if it was my first time at their church, that love is something that needs to characterize their church. And my first message at their church, if I had just met the pastor and he's like, why don't you come speak? Uh, I would speak on this passage because I think it's so important, but we always individualize it. We always just think, oh, it's just about love, and oh, this is like, like love that I have for my kids, love that I have for my wife. And that's very true. It's very true. And you can go to this passage, and you can use it in weddings, and it's beautiful. But if you take it out of the context of the church, which is where Paul had it, it really loses a lot of its oomph. We have to remember that we as a church have to be living in love in everything that we do or we're dead. I think that's really the, the point that Paul is trying to drive home in this entire uh, passage here. And I think it's a great reminder for us. Now, can we individualize it? Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, we as individuals with other individuals make up the church. And so we have to read this in one sense in the fact that how does this represent my life? Am I doing everything in love? Am I a person who is responding in love? Am I a person that when I see one situation over here that really angers me, am I just going to get into that conversation and really give them everything that I have uh, straight from, just straight from all of my anger? No. We need to be people who react and act in love in every single thing uh, that we do. Or our church, us, as a group of individuals, if we're not living love inside the church, our entire church is going to be dead. The entire church, because we are the church. And if we are, as individuals, are failing in this, then our church will be failing in it as well. Let's go to verse 3. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, 
Like those are good things, right? Giving everything that you have to someone, being willing to die for something. Those are really good things. But again, Paul makes it clear, if I don't have love, I gain nothing from it. It really comes down to our motivations. Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Are we doing them out of love? Because love and God and Christ are motivating us to do these things? Or are we acting and reacting from anger and hostility and everything else that we're feeling in our hearts, which sometimes there's a lot of? Verse 4 begins a long list of really 15 different characteristics uh, of love. But if you just remember, Paul is still addressing the Corinthian church. So when he says in verse 4, love is patient, what do you think the Corinthian church was having a problem with? Patience, right? When he says love is kind, what do you think the Corinthian church was having a problem with? Kindness. And so as we look at these 15 things, Paul is really calling them out on several different levels and on 15 different areas within inside of their church. And he's saying, if love isn't characterizing all of these, your church isn't doing well. So he says love is patient. The word here is actually uh, really interesting. I didn't write the Greek word down, but I know about it. So uh, I'm sorry that you don't have that on the screen as well. But the word for patient, uh, I think usually when we think of patience, we usually think of circumstances. Would you say that's true? I usually do. I don't know if, if that's maybe a general thing or not. Uh, but I usually think of circumstances like I need to have more patience when I'm waiting at the doctor's office for my children to be seen. Or I need to have patience uh, in a situation uh, that has really got the best of me. And I usually think of it in those terms. But this Greek word uh, for patient is not that at all. In fact, it has nothing to do with circumstance. It only has to do with people, which really puts all of this into context once again. Who's he talking to? The people, the church. And so he's saying, love is patient with people, not in circumstances. The word is never used in the Bible, this word, for circumstances. It's only used with people. So he's telling them, you need to be patient with people. How many of you could use a dose of that? Anybody in here? You can raise your hand. Gosh, I could too. That's a hard one. Patience in a circumstance, I'll be like, I'll deal with that. Patience with a person, that's a lot harder. What about patience with uh, my son when he continues to pester and mess with my other three children? Now, that's a circumstance, I get it, but it's also my son. I don't have patience with him like I need to. I don't have patience sometimes with my littlest. Look at her right there. How can you not have patience with little tiny Hallie? Patience with people is a hard thing. You know why? Because people are hard. We do things and we default to sin, always. So Paul is just taking this as a reminder to the whole church. Listen, love is patient with people. 
You are living in community with other believers. Guess what? Other believers are going to really make you mad sometimes. Other believers are going to do things that you think are immoral. Other believers are going to say things to you that you think no Christian should ever say to any Christian ever. And Paul's advice is still, love is patient with those people. Maybe you're impatient with somebody that's not seeing something the way that you're seeing it. And Paul's reminder is, remember, even though they're not seeing things like you see them, be patient with them because love is patient. This is actually a characteristic of God. It's the, it's the same word for slow to anger in Exodus 34. Uh, I'll just keep jumping around uh, in the Bible. But in Exodus 34, God is introducing himself to Moses. And this is what he says, Exodus 34, 6. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, patient with people. (laughs) He put that in really simple terms for us, didn't he? Don't worry, I'm patient with humans. Uh, That's really good for you and me, but it's also something that we need to copy and something that Paul is saying that the Corinthian church desperately, desperately needs to exhibit. Love is also kind. Love does not envy. Love doesn't envy. That means not just wanting something that your neighbor has, okay? My neighbor just got a new trailer like a camping trailer, and it's awesome. Me and my wife are like, wish we had a trailer. Wish we had a camper like that. It'd be awesome to take our kids and we'll just go and, and do all these things. Now, that, that's not good. It's not good that I'm feeling that. Uh, that's one kind of envy, but there's also another kind of envy that's even deeper and darker, and it's the envy that says, my neighbors don't even deserve that. It should go to somebody like me. Now, they're both envy, and they're both sin. Now, it's not bad just to want something. Okay, we want a lot of things. But when we see that other people are getting things, and it starts to rub us wrong, and we start to focus on that, and we want that, and that has to be ours. Why did they get it? That's the kind of envy that love is never found in. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. It doesn't boast, it doesn't brag. Love is not something, and listen, remember, if he's talking about this to the Corinthian church, they have a problem with bragging, they have a problem with envy. And so he's saying love, love isn't gonna brag, love isn't gonna boast, love is humble. Love lifts others up. Love doesn't talk about yourself, love talks about others. Love isn't arrogant, he goes on to say. We shouldn't have this prideful arrogance. The Corinthian church had a problem with arrogance inside of their ranks. And listen, every church is dealing with these same problems. In a church of, we're, we're running about 900 people on both of our campuses right now in a, on a Sunday. Uh, within 900 people, I guarantee you, listen, every last one of these things will hit at some place or another or multiple. And some of us are probably thinking, gosh, 
I've always just think, thought, thought about this passage as love. I've never thought about it as me and I, what I'm supposed to be doing and how I'm supposed to be acting within the confines of the church as Christ's body. But it absolutely is that. It doesn't insist on its own way. Oh my gosh. Uh, this one hit me in staff meeting. I'll just go ahead and say it. <laughs> We're talking about name tags. And I don't know, I, for whatever reason, I was just insisting on my own way. And it's really not a big deal. It's name tags. And at the end of the day, I was just, I was like, what? Why? Why was there all that drama? It was because I was just so insistent. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a right way to do things and a wrong way to do, do things sometimes. But we don't want to be the people that says, no, 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 this has to be my way or I'm out of here. If, if you guys don't start seeing things my way, go ahead and hit the highway. We have to leave room in the church for all of us to disagree peacefully and not always insist on our own way. Love doesn't do that. There's people in the Corinthian church that were insisting in their own way all the time. And it creates disunity and it creates all sorts of things that we don't want to see in the church. And at the end of the day, if we're not doing everything in love, we're dead. And so he's saying love doesn't do these things. Love doesn't always insist on its own way. It's not irritable. You ever met anybody in church that's just irritable all the time? Hey, buddy. Wow, what do you want? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm just, you're a little irritable today? <laughs> uh, love isn't irritable. Love welcomes. It's not resentful. <laughs> Listen to this. If you don't get your own way, are you resentful? Love isn't either of those things. Love doesn't have to get its own way. And love definitely, if it doesn't get its own way, love isn't going to be resentful. Whoa, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. I wonder how many fights, little tiny disputes between church members that we have right now. That somebody insisted on their own way and the other person Maybe that person didn't get his way and they're resentful. Or maybe he did get his way and it created resentment in somebody else's life and in somebody else's heart. And Paul is just trying to remind the Corinthian church and God is trying to remind you and I that this getting your own way and this resentfulness that could stem from that or cause that in other people is not something that has to do with love. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Rejoices with the truth. That's awesome. Not at wrongdoing. Probably uh, rejoiced in wrongdoing when we were kids at some point or another. Maybe we were adults. But now, characterized by Christ and characterized by love, we rejoice with the truth. Verse 7, love bears all things. Guys... That is key to understanding this whole passage. Love bears all things. If we, if, we, if we just had one verse for the church 
If we could just share one thing, okay, we're going to give you, uh, there's a lot in the Bible, but let's just say we just have this, love bears all things. Let's just say we didn't have anything else in the New Testament. And somebody comes in and we say, "Here's, here's what we live by. We bear all things with one another. That would make our church function right. Just that. We wouldn't need any other, we wouldn't need anything else. But if love, if each of us was bearing all things in all circumstances with other believers inside the church, our church would work fine. We wouldn't have problems. Because when that person did one thing that I didn't agree with, it was going to be all right. Because I love that person more than I love myself. And I'm going to bear with them even if it's hard for me sometimes. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. This is really in reference to God. Just believe it all. Love believes God. Love believes truth and rejoices in truth. Love hopes all things. Hope is such a beautiful word. You know, hope in Spanish is the same word for wait. (laughs) Do you know that? Uh, It's absolutely insane. I'm like, okay, uh, I have to wait in line. I have to esperar in line. I'm really hoping this goes quickly. I'm really, I really have a lot of esperanza uh, that this goes quickly. It's the exact same word, wait and hope. And so love hopes all things. Sometimes uh, our, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, hope. Uh, sometimes our hope uh, is a lot of waiting. We hope for some things. Paul is saying love hopes all things. But sometimes we have to be patient for those things to come about. And love endures all things. What does love not endure? Nothing. Love endures all things. We as believers are to have this love without condition, this highest of all loves for one another, that we endure everything for one another. In Christ for the glory of God. If that's not beautiful, I don't know what is. It's so simple. Every single thing, every relationship that you have in the walls of this church, every relationship with these 900 people that are on our campuses every week, Paul is saying it all boils down to love. If you have love, your church is going to be fine. It's going to be alive. It's going to be vibrant. If you see that love starts to sneak out the door, you're going to be pretty, in pretty good company with the Corinthian church who had a lot of different problems, but Paul was able to speak to those problems, and a lot of those problems are fixed with simple love. Could we show that kind of love? It, it's pretty easy. Right now, we probably have about 100 people in here. Yeah, yeah, 100 people. I can show love to 100. Yeah, but what about that guy that's not in here right now that comes to the church that you're kind of upset with now? Or that lady that said this about your casserole? Uh, Can we be willing to endure all things? Can we bear all things in love? I think that if we can, we are going to be a force to be reckoned with in the city of Las Cruces. This place on top of this hill in Sonoma Ranch will be a beacon to other people that says, you know what? 
that person used to want their way all the time, would insist on it. And if he didn't get his way, he would be resentful. But you know, I've seen a change in him. I've seen that person flourish into somebody totally different. And instead of wanting his way all the time, he thinks about others and their opinions that matter to him more than his own. Or even in our neighborhoods, if we just put this into practice and they could see how we love, they'll be able to see how our God loves and they'll be attracted to you and they'll be attracted to him. And we can do this thing called evangelism, called getting, to pe- getting people to Jesus as fast as we can. We'll be able to do it all because we will be fueled by the jet fuel of love. And there's just no stopping it. I'm going to end there because Brian has an awesome thing to get rehearsing with his band. I think we're going to have a cellist here on Sunday. Listen, Easter Sunday, big Sunday. We have four services. We have one at the Miranda campus at 8.30. Our next is at 9.40 here. The next one is at 11 here. The next one is at 12.15 here. We're so excited about this. Brian is, is planning uh, an amazing time of worship here. If you worship at Miranda uh, and you go to Sunday school and it's not 12.15 yet, come here. Check this out. It's going to be awesome. We're going to hopefully fill both locations four times. That would be amazing. Uh, Have a wonderful night. You're absolutely dismissed. Uh, And I will see you next week.